Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO. And I'm your host, Doug Lear. The last shot, the last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh, we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with podcast extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people and the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week? Thanks, Doug. As we check elsewhere around North Dakota, Access is still an issue in some areas, most areas actually. Although small lakes West River, that's west of the Missouri River, are finding that it's easier to get around now that the warmer weather took down some of the snow. But back in the Northeast, Devil's Lake access can still be challenging in many areas when it comes to moving around on the ice if a person's venturing off plowed trails. Generally, the lake is hit and miss for walleye and perch, and overall, it's borderline slow. About the best success seems to be around the Minnewaukan Flats on the lake's west end. Anglers are moving around on Lake Ashtabula, and their efforts continue producing a nice mix of walleye and perch. A lot of houses are around Ashtabula Crossing as well. The water clarity up on Bald Hill Creek feeding into the lake is okay enough to provide an occasional pike for spearers. It's also worth a try on some of the east-central area perch lakes, where a person can get on and move around, that is. The Missouri River Tail Race continues to disappoint the limited number of anglers who are still giving the open water a try. Access can be an issue at times as well, depending on garrison dam releases. Lake Audubon is offering mixed walleye success, and overall it remains hit and miss. Work shallow water in the evening, deeper in the afternoon. Most anglers are accessing Audubon from the East Hotton boat ramp along the northwest corner of the lake. Lake Sakakawea is still somewhat slow on the east end, as well as the Van Hook Arm in the midsection. Look for an occasional walleye, but it's nothing special. And finally, don't forget, North Dakota residents need to get their spring turkey applications in by February 16th. And speaking of hunting, the light goose numbers aren't anywhere in the state yet. But the Spring Conservation Order hunting opens February 19th, just in case one or a few thousand should venture in early. Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Here is a Podcast Extra. In which uh, the Outdoor Heritage Fund was created, I think 2000. I'm going to say 14, give or take. And uh, what the intent of that was, if you recall, was to utilize some dollars right here in North Dakota and then put that back to outdoor use. And uh, there was a lot of debate on what this goes towards, you know, what should be qualified as it. And I think we're getting there. And here to tell you more about this is Kevin Kading. He is with the North Dakota Game and Fish because there are a number of areas which private land programs, there's options out there for you. Kevin, how are you doing, man? Hey, good, Tyler. How are you? I'm doing well for a Tuesday afternoon, 410 on a uh, Tuesday. It's going well. It's sunny here. It's cold. I know that we did have some areas on the eastern side of North Dakota uh, that visibility is getting poor, so we'll give an update on that a little bit later on. 
Uh, but I want to talk about this uh, as far as utilizing that outdoor heritage fund for the outdoors. I know that there's been some new grants. There's been some new projects out there. Tell me more, Kevin. Certainly. Yeah, we've, um, we've used the outdoor heritage fund within the North Dakota game and fish department for a couple different projects starting way back in, like you said, in 2014, when it was kind of getting, you know, getting going, um, we had a, a grant that was, um, utilized we, uh, in 2014, it was a $1.9 million grant. And, um, we basically just kind of used that to um, kind of incorporated that into the existing plots program that we have. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with plots and, mm-hmm. and, and whether you're a hunter that uses plots or a landowner that's enrolled in the program, it's pretty widely known and widely accepted. And so we kind of just um, bolstered the program with, uh, with some of those OHF dollars and, and targeted into certain parts of the state. And, um, and we also used it for, um, some additional lands that were enrolled in, in our Save Our Lakes program. And so that probably doesn't mean a lot to people, but uh, what we did was, um, we were able to enroll over, you know, almost four, 4,000 acres in, uh, in, uh, in the plots program and in the Save Our Lakes program to add habitat, create some, um, habitat along riparian areas, some important waterways that are, that are important to some of our managed fishing waters in the state and um and additionally open up some public access to private lands for for hunters so a good combination and um and those agreements are still in place some of them mm-hmm. some of those have expired but we turn around and, and re-enroll those through our plots program again if the landowner is willing um, but some of those were six to ten year agreements so they'll be on the landscape for a while and um and it's just another way to get some more habitat and and public access on the ground well, and, and Kevin, that type of a program, when this was being debated, as, when it was created, this is exactly what, when being out there, I had envisioned. Well, you use this, you know, we provide for the landowner, it provides some access to the outdoorsmen and women. This seems to make sense. A successful program thus far, but I know that's not all. There's a couple other ones, and one that's that's new that I want to get to, but tell me about the Pheasant Habitat Initiative as well, because a lot of people have been talking about you know, the roller coaster as far as population for pheasant over the course of the last decade. Tell me about that program before I get to the Red River Basin Wildlife. Sure. We have another one that's called the North Dakota Pheasant Habitat Initiative. Um, again, OHF dollars, but what OHF looks to, and they look highly upon proposals that can leverage other dollars or match with other dollars. And what the Pheasant Habitat Initiative was able to do is we were able to secure a $3 million Outdoor Heritage Fund grant, but that was leveraged with, you know, over over 20. The numbers kind of changed a little bit, but somewhere in that 20 to $25 million range um, of USDA funds. So basically that's coming from the USDA that wouldn't have came to North Dakota without those OHF dollars being matched. And so um, the long, you know, the long and short of it is that there's a program out in southwestern North Dakota. It's again, this one is through the plots program, but a landowner can use those dollars, um, participate in that program. It's targeting some of those riparian areas, um, maybe some of the watersheds and creeks and drainages, essentially, um, where um, where those landowners can roll like a buffer strip or a filter strip of grass along those areas, and uh, and enroll that into the plots program as well. And there's some pretty nice, attractive incentives that are that are coupled together between OHF dollars, USDA dollars, and and the plots program. Um, so 
you know, one of the directives of OHF is public access. And so between the OHF funds and the PLOTS program, you know, there's a fund, there's a, there's, there's funds there for that public access component. And um, the program has been a little bit kind of operating in fits and starts, to be honest with you, just because it's, it is tied to USDA dollars. Right. And, um, you know, very shortly after we got the, the grant approved, um, the US, the farm bill actually expired and shut down and you had some issues with government shutdowns and things like that. But um, we really have been working on it quite a bit here this, this last year with our partners at USDA. And uh, we're really hoping to get some kind of renewed interest and kind of get that a jump start. And just, I think there's just people that weren't well-informed about it. Right. And um, it's a really, really good option for producers if they're looking for something like that um, in Southwestern North Dakota. It really doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to be large acreages. It can just be that little area along the creek um, that you want to square off, make it easier to farm. Um, but then put some of that into the into the plots program and get some nice incentives to do that. Well, and that's why I wanted you to come on, Kevin, because when it comes to the education, you got a large audience right here listening. As far as uh, I didn't know, this opportunity was there. You know, you got this area. Well, maybe we can put that into something. This is one of those opportunities. On that, it sounds like the the western part of the state. Let's talk about the Red River Basin Wildlife and and Water Quality Enhancement Program. Mouthful, but that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. Uh, you know, this is yeah. the U.S. Uh, Outdoor Heritage Fund grant from from where I'm aware. Right, absolutely, and that's that's the newer one that we just kind of get are getting launched, and um, and it's again, like you said, it's in the Red River Basin. Um, and what we were looking for there was a little bit of a different twist. This one does not have that public access requirement, um, and it's a little bit again, a little bit of a different beast, I guess. Um, in that part of the state, you know, that's highly productive egg ground, you know, and really good cropland. And so we, we had to find a way to make a program that would work for producers and their egg operations in that part of the state. And so really what this program is, is designed to do, um, it's really to target those, those maybe those not-so-great areas, not the high-yielding cropland that you have in your, in your field, but those problem areas, whether it's saline areas or flood-prone or just some areas along again, kind of along those creeks or those drainages that you just want to square off and, and not mess around with them every year. Um, and we, we initially were going to call this the, you know, birds and borders and bucks or something like that. I mean, it's kind of some weird, weird pro because it really is just kind of the odds and ends, you know, the little pieces and, and, um, uh, and areas that we could enroll into a program and help producers as a, as a, you know, a tool for their operation. And, um, it's kind of a unique partnership. Again, OHF dollars are involved. But we also have a partnership with the Department of Environmental Quality, formerly the Department of Health. But sure. um, And so they are interested in it from the water quality standpoint. And again, with that part of the state, you know, the high, highly productive soils and a lot of egg production, there is some areas that, you know, some nutrient issues and some some water quality issues. And so they had an interest from that standpoint. And, and we have the interest from the wildlife habitat and pollinator habitat standpoint. And so kind of a unique partnership where we've got soil conservation districts helping deliver that program. And, um, and landowners can work directly with the soil conservation district to, to enroll in that program. But uh, it's just kind of getting going. But, um, yeah, we'd certainly like to get producers in front of it and get, get, uh, get some information out to them. Well, I tell you what, you got a little bit more time for me because I want to talk about that last part. As far as getting people that are listening to you right now, they're saying, I didn't know this was, uh, this was down the pipe. But I'd like to learn more. Do you have a little bit more time for me, Kevin? 
Sure do. All right, I'm going to put you on hold. I appreciate that. Kevin Kading is with North Dakota Game and Fish. I want to dive a little bit more. Red River Basin Wildlife and Water Quality Enhancement Program. Yeah, North Dakota Game and Fish Outdoor Heritage Fund dollars partnering with the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality and the districts, the Soil Conservation District. There's a whole collaboration right here. The only piece missing right now is you as landowners and what you can do. We'll talk about that right after this. You got to lock into KFJO Fargo. Afternoons live on the Mighty 790 and 104.7, 104.7 KFGO. I come in last night about a half past ten. That baby of mine wouldn't let me in. So move it on over. Kevin Canning with North Dakota Game and Fish, my guest. I appreciate you taking a little bit of more time with us here on KFGO, Kevin, because you, the, a lot of programs, Outdoor Heritage Fund, North Dakota Game and Fish, how do people, if they're listening right now, they've got land, they, they might not be as productive, they want to utilize it somehow. How do they learn more about these programs? How do they get registered for that? Well, there's a couple of different ways. Um, first and foremost, they can contact North Dakota Game and Fish, and we can certainly point them in the right direction if it's not a program that is associated with us. I mean, there's a lot of other partner programs and other conservation programs that we're aware of and that we help with and and uh, we can certainly help them get going in the right direction if it's something to do with this red river basin project i, I just mentioned if you're in one of these counties um it's it's basically it's only eligible in some counties in, in red river valley right now it's cass grand forks griggs ransom richland Sargent, and walsh and it doesn't mean those other Red River counties aren't important. It's just that this is where there was manpower to deliver this. And so if it's successful, it could it could expand to other counties. Um, but if you're in one of those counties and you're interested in that Red River Basin project, um, adding some grass, adding some trees, adding some areas along riparian areas, things like that, um, contact one of those soil conservation districts. Contact them, and they can guide you through that process and get you more information. If it's on the other Outdoor Heritage Fund uh, programs I mentioned, that Pheasant Habitat Initiative, that's in the southwestern part of the state. Um, give us a call here or talk to the USDA county office in your in your county, and uh, they can help you out or we can help you out. Um, you know, so there's a lot of options that way. Um, we have information on our website as well, and so um, I'd encourage people to visit that. And there's just there's plenty of information out there. It's a little overwhelming at times, probably so. It might be good to just kind of review that stuff, but then pick up the phone and give one of our private land staff a call or just call us at Game and Fish, and we'll help you get through the process. It's habitat, folks. I mean, it's as simple as that. And, you know, when you have not only that, but then the water quality, especially, I, I'm just so intrigued and impressed by the collaboration being done with this Red River Basin Wildlife and Water Quality Enhancement Program. I wish you guys would have went with the birds border, <laughs> birds border yeah. bucks. It's a little easier to say, rolls off the tongue, but I get it. Right. <laughs> but I, it, it's great. And if you were part of those counties that you just heard, if you missed it, this will all be a podcast at kfgo.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And, and Kevin, before I let you go out, you, you mentioned all these other programs. And CRP is one that comes up a lot of the time. Uh, did that just open up? I, I forget what the time frame is for those that might want to get registered. I'm sure those that own that say, Tyler, I already know, but. I don't. Did that just open up? It did, Tyler. Um, the, there's a gen, there's what they call a general uh, CRP sign up, okay. and that just opened up January 31st, and it goes till March 11th. That's USDA now. That's a little yeah. different than these programs we Correct. were talking about. But 
Um, it's just another tool in a toolbox for producers if they're interested. Um, so that's available right now for producers. Um, they can go talk to their USDA county office and, and find out information on that. Um, there's also a continuous. It's just another form of CRP where a producer can walk in and apply at any time, essentially. So there's some different options available through USDA. And again, we you know we have a lot of those lands that end up enrolled in plots. Um, so we we promote those as well. We promote CRP. Um, we, if if we can help somebody get in get enrolled in CRP, and they want to stack a, a plots agreement on top of their CRP when they're done for some additional incentives. Um, sometimes it's a pretty good combination. So um, you get your CRP rental rate, you get your cost share for installing the grass, and then you turn around and enroll that in plots, and you get some extra dollars on top of that. So just another option, another voluntary option, or you know, uh, for producers to consider. I'm curious. I mean, I know this is uh, dating back to 2013, 2014, and the way the commodity prices have been, land prices, all of that sort of thing, and now looking at the landscape. Uh, this year, have have landowners been receptive to the programs? Have they said, yeah, well, I could make more money doing this, but with this little plot, I'm just curious the relationship, because sometimes I think it's depicted as contentious between outdoors and agriculture. And I, when I'm seeing the collaboration on some of these programs, I just I can't imagine that this real contentious or Kevin. You know, it kind of, to be honest, it ebbs and flows, you know, commodity prices and things change on the landscape. And we certainly understand that. And we don't blame people. People have to make a living out there. And so, um, but you're right. It's been, it has been a little contentious at times. And I think it's mostly just, you know, maybe a misunderstanding. We're not, you know, when we talk about these programs, we're not expecting somebody to, you know, put the whole farm in a, you know, conservation program and pack up and move to Arizona, you know. We want them to be on the landscape making a living. We want them to farm what they can and do the best job they can. These are just voluntary program tools, as you would say, you know, for, for them to use on their operation. Um, that's one thing I think with CRP that gets overlooked a lot. You know, you could, you could farm, you know, if you had a quarter section, you could, you could farm 140 acres of the best of it. But if you had 20 acre little problem spot out there, it really does pencil out pretty well in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases it pencils out well to put those acres into something else and just let them be, um, help the wildlife a little bit, help improve water quality. And overall, it's going to probably help their bottom line. So that's kind of the angle I like to take is just don't look at it as one or the other. It can be both. It can be conservation and farming and ranching together. So a lot of options out there. Well, there's a lot of information, Kevin. I've kind of enjoyed this, but because there is so much, can we do it again soon? Get this word out, continue yeah. that, just information. This is what you guys need to know. Well, it is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available. Well, ben, the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Until next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.